Welcome to the Serial Killer Gals. My name is Caitlin. I'm here with my co-host Courtney. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about the disappearance and murder of Alyssa Turney. We are going to talk a lot about her life leading up to this point. And this is going to be our first two-part episode. (laughs) That wasn't meant to be two parts. (laughs) Lots of information. Yeah, I really did not realize how much was in this. But listening to Sarah Turney's podcast, her sister uh, voices for justice there's so much information in that i got five pages in for the notes and i didn't (laughs) even like touch the day that she went missing yet like we weren't even there yet (laughs) this needs to be two parts i'm not the type to want to leave things out like i want all the information in it and sometimes that's not always a good thing for me research wise before we get into that there was a really horrific tragedy that happened this weekend that we are recording so we're going to talk about that for a little bit at a travis scott concert at the festival astro world eight people died and 300 people were injured And no one stopped the concert. We need to talk about that (laughs) because it's important to hold especially celebrities accountable for their actions and hold festivals accountable for their negligence. Yeah. I mean, they were literally resuscitating people in the middle of the crowds. There's videos of bodies stacked on top of each other. Just people passed out stacked on top of each other. People were recording them underneath hundreds of people. Like, not unable unable to move. Teenagers trying to revive people because no medical attention could get to them because people thought that it was funny to dance on top of the medical vehicles. People trying to get up on stage telling him to stop the show. Security is a huge issue for this, but it's also an issue because of Travis Scott himself. There's videos of him staring at fans that are passed out because people were, when they saw someone passed out, the best solution they could think of was kind of crowd surfing them till they got to medical attention. Mm -hmm. And he, there's videos of him staring at these people and he only stopped the show one time and he literally stopped it for less than a minute. And said, give them some room and like, they moved, but... Like Okay, and also, you can delete the tweets, but there's screenshots. We know they still exist. You incited this crowd. Mm -hmm. He told people, the show is sold out, but I got you if you don't have a ticket. There's your Instagram post, your caption that said, if you don't have a ticket, you should still come because we're sneaking all the wild ones in. I got you. Yeah. You should have known people were going to take that seriously, and they did. They j- there was a girl I watched on TikTok and she was like, at one point, they just stopped scanning wristbands and you just lifted your arm up and they were like, go ahead. Yeah, there's videos, the one video specifically, and it was honestly really horrifying, of probably at least 100 people just storming the entrance of this festival. And I don't know where the fucking security was at this time because nobody was at that entrance. Tripping over each other. There was two people that I think were security off on the side that weren't even by the entrance. People literally demolished this entrance. Like they all, it's as if there was a giant crowd that decided to all run at one time. Mm -hmm. And 
like they ruined the metal detectors that were there. Police at some point were there on horses, but the horses were freaking out because there were people charging at them. Mm-hmm. One of the security guards thought it was a good idea to start randomly shoving and punching to try and wrangle these people. They basically had to just wait for the crowd to stop because they couldn't do anything. It was a real life human stampede. <laughs> it literally was. There's one girl specifically who was videoed at the concert with a, another guy. She managed to get on stage and was yelling at the camera guy that they need to stop the show because there are dead people in the crowd mm-hmm. and that they need to stop the show. And she was trying to get attention and he literally was just yelling at her to get down. Mm-hmm. Like, did you not hear her properly? Because I'm pretty sure in that moment I would not have gave a single fuck on about where the camera was. No, they didn't take her or the <laughs> other guy seriously at all. No, they didn't take anything seriously. I would have actually like risked getting arrested and went on stage and been like screaming at yeah. Travis Scott, fucking stop. I was just scrolling through Twitter mm-hmm. under the Astro World name and there were so many people in the hospital like, yeah, I was like trampled over for two minutes straight and I'm like lucky that I'm alive because it was so crowded. They broke down the front barriers at one point and people were just charging to get out because they were scared. But at the same time, because everybody was doing that, the people in the front were getting stepped on. Yeah. I can't imagine ever stepping on another person to get out. I would never do that. And I heard that people that were already like at the front of the stage were just getting literally shoved into the barriers until they were on the ground and like unable to breathe. We've been to a fair amount of shows. I've never been to a show where it was so tight that I was on top of somebody else, Mm -hmm. like touching somebody else where I couldn't move. Yeah. I mean, you get shoved in the beginning because everyone's trying to open up a pit. But like after that, it's fine. You get shoved, but people were describing that it was like crowd before the show even started was so tight that if you put your arms up, you couldn't put them back down. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when you're at the front, where do you go? Right. One of the girls, the girl in the video, she made an Instagram statement and just was saying, I started to get separated from my friend and I knew we had to leave, but I didn't know, like, I couldn't get out. I couldn't leave. There was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to go. It is scary that this was able to happen. They're estimating 50,000 people were at this one stage. Oh my God. 50,000 people. That's absurd. For every fan of his that is saying, well, what was he supposed to do? Or people trying to claim it's normal to have passed out people at a concert or a festival. It's not normal. No. Stop spreading that narrative. It's not normal. One person in my whole entire concert going life has passed out and it was because it was hot and it was at Warp Tour and yeah. they literally, Motion City Soundtrack stopped the show. Yeah. They stopped playing. It's it's a little different I when you're in the summer months i feel because Mm -hmm. there's a bit more of a likelihood someone's gonna get overheated but it's not summer we're in november yeah and people were not passing out because of heat stroke he saw them Mm -hmm. so yes he was supposed to stop the show to help people get medical attention yeah stop playing you're not playing until everyone is (laughs) get half these people out of here (laughs) and honestly his video on instagram like what does that do for anybody Mm -mm. you making a, a minute and a half video 
video where you won't even look at the camera because you're so ashamed and you don't address anything. You just, you don't even apologize, not even an apology. And all you just say is, well, if you know those people, if you could please cooperate with the Houston Police Department. I'm sure those people that were with them already were were there watching their friends get trampled. Yeah, okay, guy, this was your fault and eight people are dead and over 300 people got injured, so. Yeah, to not even apologize. He just, he didn't address anything. I don't listen to that music, so I don't get the hype, but. <laughs> I don't listen to that music either, but he's not a good person. There's mm. groomer allegations against him. What bothers me the most, I'm not going to go like off on a tangent about how much I hate rich people. <laughs> because I do. He's dating Kylie Jenner. Right. And he's going to be just fucking fine. And eight people died and he's just going to continue to live his life. Yeah, like nothing ever happens. So. They scrubbed their social media of any insensitive things that they said. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very happy that she was not injured. She's pregnant. I don't wish ill will on a pregnant person, but she was making very insensitive comments for articles to be titled about the fact that she was not harmed. Right. Okay. You should be talking about the victims. You should yeah. not be talking about Kylie Jenner. It's mm. like, I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't care about Kylie Jenner, especially when people died yeah. and she was fine. You were fine. You were backstage. Like, you weren't even around the people who were being stampeded. So. Exactly. She Is wasn't even in it. Stampeded. <laughs> I think that's the word for it. It's really scary. And honestly, I don't see how this festival recovers from this. And honestly, it's not the same. But the security thing reminded me of TanaCon mm -hmm. with it's clear you cut corners with your security and there were not enough of them and they could not handle it on their own. And the ones that were there were not properly trained because mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do in a situation. And there's videos of them doing horrific things to yeah. People that were at the festival, like slamming a guy into the concrete. So the security was a huge issue. And obviously, I think that just reminded me of, of that because at TanaCon, worse things could have happened. And I think that should have been a wake up call for any festival or any convention that that is not something that you can shortcut. Mm -hmm. And when we found out that that was what happened, for that to be a contributing factor, they were lucky that nothing bad happened that day. And now because of a similar issue, we have this horrific thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't see festivals being the same going forward. I hope there's a change. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's horrible. And I just felt like we needed to touch on it before talking about anything else because there needs to be awareness to that. Mm -hmm. And Travis Scott needs to acknowledge his part and his role. We had to talk a little bit about that before moving forward, for sure. To kind of explain like the dynamic of the way I'm going to do this <laughs> for the episodes. <laughs> The first episode is going to be talking about who Mike Turney is, which is Alyssa's adopted father. Her stepdad. Yeah. And we're going to talk about how he got with Alyssa's mother and we're going to talk about their family and we're going to talk about Alyssa's relationship with Mike because I feel like it is very important. So this episode is not even going to reach the day that she went missing quote-unquote yeah, yeah like she didn't really go missing but the day they found her runaway note mm -hmm. and that's where the next episode is going to pick up so episode is going to just be leading up to that point so you can kind of understand why all of the speculation is on mike turney and why people are very suspicious because of the stuff that he was doing all right we're going to start with
with the early life of Alyssa Turney. So Alyssa Turney was born April 23rd, 1984, and was 17 years old when she went missing in 2001. So this is a very old case that took 20 years to get any type of recognition thanks to Alyssa's sister, Sarah Turney, on TikTok. Yeah, she was not even a missing person until kind of recently. When she first went missing, they didn't even interview people. They didn't even go to the house. No, no cop showed up. And part of that is because of Mike Turney. He Only told, told them, them she ran away. Yeah, okay. he, he literally was like, well, she's just mad at me. She'll come back. It'll make a lot more sense at the end of this. But he was setting the scene that she would run away, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So he he kind of set things up to seem to make it more believable to police that she would run away because there was friction there. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa is the second youngest child of six children. She had one older brother. She had one older brother, three stepbrothers, and a younger half-sister. So Alyssa's younger sister, Sarah Turney, is going to be a focal point for this case because she gives us quite a big bit of information. She is a huge advocate for her sister's disappearance, and she has a podcast called Voices for Justice that we will talk about a lot in this episode because she gives us a lot of insight on Alyssa as a child and kind of information from their childhood she interviews family members she has like court documents so and she's one of on- the only well she pretty much is the only sibling advocating for her sister so yeah the rest of them just kind of decided they didn't want anything to do with it and that also includes you know mike turney so they gaslight we will talk about that Alyssa was born to barbara and steven stram in 1984 but they unfortunately got divorced after only three years and Barbara married Mike Turney in 1987 when John, her brother, who was 10 years old, and Alyssa, who was just three years old. They had one child together in 1989, and that was Sarah Turney. Mike also adopted Alyssa and John, and the neighbors often called them the Brady Bunch for some reason. Like, they just seemed to have this perfect life. Yours, family, ours kind of thing, yeah. Now we're going to get into... Mike Turney. He is the main suspect in this case. He was actually arrested last year, finally. We have quite a bit of stuff to undig about him. Mike was born in 1984 to Jean and Ma Dean Turney in Phoenix, Arizona. He had two older sisters and one younger brother. He grew up in a very poor household. Their mom stayed at home and their dad was a roofer. And he had a bunch of like side gigs that he did to make money. He played music on the side was his like big thing. And sometimes they even had to steal food and catch their own young animals to be able to eat. Their uncle would have to like kind of help them out by basically stealing so they could get by. And they had a big family connection in the government. And I chose to like leave that name out. Yeah. Just because it's not important, but he was a governor of the state. Mm -hmm. And it's believed that because of that, their dad was able to stay out of trouble. And basically, he could pick up the phone, make a call, and the issue would go away. Yeah, Mike's dead. Yeah. Even financially, they think that this was a reason they were even able to stay afloat Mm -hmm. because they were so poor. And eventually, Mike and his younger brother were taught how to play music by their dad, Gene. And 
they'd play in a band together. There's like a little video of this, them playing all together. Mike was really good at sports and his brother even says he could go pro, but they moved so often that it was never really possible for him. Uh, he was taught martial arts when he was young and he definitely had an ego about it. There was a fight where he left a man paralyzed and I would say this is the first red flag. <laughs> yeah. This is the first red flag about Mike. Gene Turney claimed to have been drunk and abusive, making them stand at attention for hours and whip them if they even moved a muscle. I understand different time period but that excuse doesn't doesn't no. hold water for me that's just abuse for no reason yeah because i get he's growing up in like the 60s but for me it's no excuse mm -mm. you shouldn't have ever hit your kids because it was normal at the time like no it was abuse yeah so he was definitely abusive towards them and there are allegations of sexual assault uh one by one of mike's sisters and mike himself mm -hmm. as well as abuse allegations from both parents there is not really much about what his mom did, but apparently both of them were were abusive. He definitely grew up in an abusive household and his siblings will corroborate that. Like they definitely agree. And Mike claims that James, his brother, was abusive towards him and heavily favored by their mother. They had a sibling rivalry that continue across their entire life and a love-hate relationship since they were still loyal to each other. There's claims of abuse, but when it came down to it, Mike was still there for James during a very horrific incident that we will definitely talk about. The relationship seems really weird because it kind of is explained by Sarah that they, I don't know, hated each other for real and would beat the shit out of each other, but they'll always like have each other's backs in some weird way. I don't know. It's really strange to me. Yeah. And it's crazy because she also points out the parallels between their lives. Like they both have allegations of sexual assault and actual physical abuse toward their children when mm -hmm. they grew older. So they both kind of grew up to lead similar lives of in the ways that they like both had the same allegations against them. Mike served in the military but was honorably discharged as a rank E5 which is a sergeant which I don't know much about the military so. Me neither. I know sergeants are important, mm -hmm. so I assume, <laughs> I assume that's like high ranking, you know. After this, he married his first wife, Cheryl, and took the position of deputy sheriff until 1974. This just sits Great. with me so wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't. We These... don't need this person being a sheriff. <laughs> he was a deputy sheriff. And apparently well-respected by his co-workers, other than one incident he seemed to obsess over with his superiors. And he wrote an essay about having saved two children from a hostage negotiation while his co-workers did nothing about it. And he seemed very adamant on proving that this was true. There was no proof to back this up. No one else seemed to be there. No two deputies or that were there ever came out and people basically said this was a lie. You'll see that Mike writes a lot of essays about things. <laughs> oh my god, the dude never shuts up. Yeah. Now we use it against him, so mm -hmm. thank god he never shut up, even though <laughs> everything he says is like oh, such hi. a mess. 
Yeah. Mike would comment about other coworkers in ways that didn't really seem accurate. And that kind of makes me think he was definitely someone who constantly lied or he just had like a really skewed sense of reality. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't really tell which one it is at the time of writing that sentence. But now I would say he's a liar. Yeah. Agreed. It seems in this situation to me that he really wanted to seem like the hero. It was suspected that he made friends in high places in law enforcement at this time that may have been helping him. So despite the fact that he resigned in 1974, he definitely made friends with people along the way that helped him go 20 years without any sort of conviction. He said that he resigned in 1974 because he didn't like the politics with police officers, but it's suspected that it had to do with an incident with his brother, James, where he shot his wife. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into that. (laughs) Yeah, we are. I would also like to note that when we laugh, it's not because it's funny. It's we're very highly uncomfortable. And that's for every episode. And (laughs) yeah, that's definitely where the laughter comes in. And I'm also laughing because it's so absurd to me Mm -hmm. that this person got away with so much. It's just like both of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's suspected that Mike had an obsession over Donna, and their relationship didn't seem ordinary. Donna was his brother James' wife. Mm -hmm. Sarah Turney suspects that the relationship with Donna sparked a lifelong obsession with him having sexual desires with women that he could not have and should not desire. This would actually make sense and line up pretty well with every woman that he obsessed over. Mm -hmm. It would make sense that he shouldn't obsess over his brother's wife that he his brother that he doesn't even get along with Mm -hmm. of course later on like his sister's-in-law his daughter Mm -hmm. like yeah keynote there his daughter his daughter yeah so this would this would line up pretty well so i think it's pretty accurate he went as far as to write an essay from her perspective detailing sexual relations between her and james like what a creep oh another essay (laughs) (laughs) and he wrote essays about her because he was obsessed with her there's proof he was obsessed with her and from her point of view yeah which is really weird Honestly, that's not something I've ever even heard of before. No. He claimed that they were both having affairs with different people. So Donna was having an affair and James was having an affair as well. This led to James shooting Donna twice. And at the time of this incident, it was said that James just seemed to be in a trance and was going to shoot a third time. And he didn't end up getting that shot out because, you know, Mike was there at the time and thankfully stopped it, which, you know, was probably because of his obsession. Causes it, but also stops it. Yeah. (laughs) He admits to altering the crime scene as well, because when he was there, he took the gun from James and he immediately like took the rounds out of it, which I understand that. But he also there were their kids were there at the time and he like gets the kids to leave. So they're not and this is all before any police are called he like gets the kids to leave so they're not like there to kind of give any sort of statement he removes weapons he supposedly tries to hand donna a knife to make it look as if she started it it was going after him yeah and that's kind of the narrative that tries to get pushed was that she started the fight by threatening him and then he shot her but that's not true (laughs) as far as i'm aware james seemed to think that 
Donna and Mike were having an affair. And Mike also claimed that James fabricated a recording to sound like Mike was admitting to sleeping with Donna. I would just like to say, please, can you explain to me how he fabricated a voice recording of you, especially at that time? Yeah, that was their editing. Um, he would have to have video of you saying all the words that he put together mm-hmm. to make that clip. So it sounds to me like you were having an affair, <laughs> having an affair or that you did admit to having an affair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really understand how he fabricates that, but that is the story that Mike says. That's what he claims. That entire story of what happened that day is from Mike's perspective and his words, because he is so dumb that he admitted to altering the crime scene. He also claims that he did, like, he claims he didn't sleep with Donna or any of his first wife Cheryl's sisters and he lifts lists them off by name claiming that he did not sleep with any of them which I found very odd like he just had a handful of women that he was like I did not sleep with these people insert names here even John Kennedy didn't list off <laughs> like I'm sorry names. I don't remember anybody accusing you of sleeping with your sisters-in-law like who said you were sleeping with Cheryl's sisters right you nobody just outed yourself but all right And this is a pattern, as we will talk about him later on with more of his freaking weird essays and contracts. That kind of came out of nowhere, like him listing them off. I don't remember anybody making allegations about that until later on. He claims that those allegations were false. And while he was a cop, it is accused that he sexually assaulted Cheryl's youngest sister while she was handcuffed to a bed. And she was only 16 at the time. And like I said, I I don't remember this allegation coming out until after he was like, I didn't sleep with any of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, they didn't say you slept with them. They said that you assaulted them. Not the same. So something similar happened to Alyssa when she was that age, actually. He would sexually assault another one of Cheryl's sisters by throwing her onto the bed and trying to kiss her and fondle her. But she fought him off, so he was not successful in that. This is important to establish early on. And like, we'll get, I bring up the sexual assault allegation again with Alyssa later on. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wanted to bring it up here now because it's important to establish a history of sexual assault and the way that he viewed women. So the fact that he had a thing for younger women and he seemed to have a pattern, like Sarah pointed out, that he desired women that he can't have and shouldn't desire. Mm -hmm. So I think that shows his character pretty well. So now we're going to talk about Mike and Barbara's relationship and her passing. She passed away in 1993. And the reason we're talking about this in detail is because I believe that Mike had a part in it. That will make sense. (laughs) It's unclear when Mike and Cheryl got divorced. I couldn't really find a timeline on that. But in 1987, Mike Turney and Barbara Stram got married. They had major money issues. And Mike took out a second mortgage on the home and he would even make purchases on credit cards, like store credit cards, and only return them for cash to make ends meet, which I don't even think you can do that anymore. No. So I'm surprised he was ever able to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was probably because of stuff like this. So after Mike quit working as a sheriff, he became an electrician and joined an international brotherhood of electric workers, electrical workers, a union. This union will play a huge role in this story, actually, and we will talk about them later on. You'll get really sick of him saying stuff about the union. (laughs) 
Yeah. He brings up the union quite a bit. So he claims to have suffered an injury that caused him to be put on disability. And he claimed that he was a whistleblower and the union was threatening him and shattered his kneecaps. Like, what year is this? That's something out of a movie. Yeah. (laughs) What is this? Like, the mob scene? Come on. Yeah, honestly. And he never worked again after, after this incident, supposedly. And he was put on disability for the rest of his life. But Sarah speculates that the disability was actually for mental health reasons, and I believe she had the paperwork in front of her for that. And she said that she doesn't recall him ever having any physical injury. She doesn't recall him being in a wheelchair or on crutches. And if you have your kneecap shattered, I'm pretty sure you can't walk. Like, not even with crutches. No. You probably can't move your legs. This would just make so much more sense after knowing his whole life story and you're like, okay, like, the kneecaps thing, I don't know. But mental illness, I would completely believe. Yeah, and uh, one of the conditions of his disability payments was that he had to go to therapy twice a week. It wouldn't make sense if you were on disability for like physical, physical therapy or <laughs> right, like a physical injury. It wouldn't make sense that you needed to go to therapy. So, and she said that she felt that he was very good at manipulating and he knew exactly what to say to these people to convince them that he was not able to work. And Sarah proves on Voices for Justice that he didn't get fired and that she actually has the paperwork that he quit. We know that he didn't get let go or anything like that that he claims. Mm-hmm. And this is very important because in 1993, Barbara got diagnosed with lung cancer. Barbara was aware of Mike's abuse and she was actually saving to try and leave. But at the time she received her diagnosis, she knew it wasn't really possible because she needed Mike. She needed him to be there for her and the kids while she goes through this treatment. Mike claimed that he was fired three weeks before his wife's death. And this was a huge thing that Sarah says he never let go of, that this company was so heartless that they fired him after his wife got diagnosed with cancer and they needed the insurance. Like Mm -hmm. he makes this big deal that he was fired when his wife had a terminal illness. He never let go of that, but we know that that is false. He quit. He quit his job to go on disability. Just a big liar. Yeah. And that adds a huge layer of suspicion, in my opinion, to Barbara's death because Mike willingly quit his job when when his wife was in an aggressive chemotherapy treatment. And I can't imagine doing that. Like she needs the insurance. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Barbara was in the ending stages and Mike's behavior seemed to be very off. Family that was there to help take care of her at the time, like family and friends, say that there were times that he tried to give her extra doses of medication claiming that he forgot that she had already had it to the point where her mom was literally sleeping next to her bed like making sure that he wasn't coming in to her room and giving her extra doses yeah and barbara was apparently shocked that they gave her a certain level of medication that they did because mike always gave her more so they gave her some and she was like this is it he always gives me more than that so he was for who knows how long purposefully giving her more than she needed Mm -hmm. the insurance was about to lapse when barbara passed away and right before she did they have a huge life insurance policies they were kind of at the very last leg of like okay we know that barbara's gonna pass away and the life insurance is like about to lapse Mm -hmm. and mike would refer to this life insurance policy often which is very odd to me it's you're just giving yourself away 
your wife's not even dead yet and he would be spending all this money and they'd be like what like what are you doing why are you spending all this money barbara has cancer and he'd be like oh well the life insurance policy is gonna pay for it what do you even say to that right your wife's dying why don't you go be with your wife instead of worrying about her life insurance policy you seem so sure she's gonna die Mm -hmm. that you're spending her life insurance policy before you even get it and at that time like i said their insurance was about to lapse so they didn't even know if they were gonna get the life insurance Mm -hmm. that's why this doesn't make sense right like he's speeding up the process on purpose yeah it's like he was so sure that he was gonna get this life insurance even though he was about to be out of insurance and out of the life insurance policy in her final moments uh mike was called into the room to ask if he wanted to say anything to her and he just sat at the end of her bed and he didn't say anything literally spoke zero words to his dying wife yeah didn't say a word that is heartbreaking like her kids are in there and so upset and all he cares about like he would make several comments while she was dying that she was gonna leave him with two kids to take care of because all their sons at this point were at the age that they were already out of the house like john was about to be out of the house Mm -hmm. so he was only gonna have to take care of Alyssa and sarah but he was complaining that he would have to take care of two kids by himself. What is wrong with you? Wait, you're going to make her feel guilty that she has chemo? That she's going through chemo? Right. And she has lung cancer? cancer? <laughs> okay. That is horrible. So he like would guilt her and make her feel bad for dying. Horrible. Horrible person. Even in her final moments and her few weeks that she had left, like her last few weeks, he didn't show her any affection. They said she he was barely even around. And within two years of the diagnosis, Barbara unfortunately passed away at the age of 34. And this left Mike, Alyssa, and Sarah in the house alone because, like I said, all the boys were already moved out at this point and John moved out as soon as he could and was emancipated, actually. And there are several sources that claimed Mike expressed very like a lot of anger towards Barbara for leaving him with these two kids to raise by himself quote-unquote like as if he doesn't have a support system of people that love these kids right or like a bunch of older children that are out of the house that could help you so it's very clear he showed aggression towards her even in her last few weeks despite the huge life insurance policy that mike was talking about all the time uh he told barbara's family he didn't have money to pay for a funeral And they had a small service with just him and the kids. And then Barbara's family paid for her body to be moved and buried. Absurd. So he didn't even have a funeral for her. He was spending money. Her money. Before he got the life insurance, claiming the life insurance would pay for it and then didn't have a funeral for her really at all. My skin crawls just thinking about this guy. Yeah, honestly. Like, how are your kids, how are her children supposed to say goodbye properly? Now we're going to talk about Alyssa and Sarah's early life with mike and kind of the dynamic of things after barbara passed away we'll be mainly talking about for Alyssa when she was a teenager because they have an age gap so like when Alyssa was 17 i believe sarah was 12. sarah was 12 yeah, yeah. So. this is mainly going to focus on the two of them there's not much information about her brothers really at all they don't really come up i don't know why that is i think it's just because most of this happens when they're not even in the house anymore john and her other brother michael will come up later on in the story for a brief bit but that's pretty much the only time we'll mention them from here on out. So growing up, almost everyone in Alyssa's family says that Sarah was heavily favored by Mark. Mark, sorry. 
I started calling him Mark like halfway through the notes, <laughs> and I thought I got all the spots. And I didn't. So Sarah was heavily favored by Mike. And it was clear that Alyssa was treated very differently. And everybody in the family will say this. When it came to Alyssa, she was heavily monitored. She was constantly yelled at and treated like she was in trouble. And in videos that Sarah shares the audio of, she describes the video after it plays. Um, And there's one video specifically where she's in her Halloween costume as a baby. She's like one years old or something like that. And Alyssa is saying over and over again, take a picture of me, show me, look at my costume. And she's ignored. And the audio is like so it's fucking so sad. sad. It's just this little kid that just wants her dad to begging for attention. <laughs> yeah. And whenever like she just wanted love and affection. And Sarah says in the 40 plus videos that she has, not a single one of them is focused on Alyssa or even has a genuine moment between Alyssa and Mark. Mike. My God. <laughs> No, and it's like a lot of the audio Sarah plays in her podcasts are like home videos and you can just hear her literally begging for attention and Mike's just literally blowing her off or telling her to get out of the way. He's filming Sarah right now and it's like so sad. Yeah. And it's like, okay, where was that energy for when Alyssa was a child? I mean, I know he wasn't there like her whole childhood, but you guys got married when she was three. Right. You didn't have Sarah until what they have like a five-year age gap until five years later mm -hmm. like and they didn't care to do any of that with her like you said there's tons of videos where she's being yelled at to get out of the way there was one specifically she played where he kept saying like you have to move your leg like her leg was in a small part of the video and he was like every single bit of you needs to be out of the shot really who cares come on and like despite her obviously being neglected by mike she still had so much love for him and like just wanted his approval wanted when his she attention. was a kid yeah and he wonders no wonder she is rebellious against you and she's a teenager she felt that as a kid mm -hmm. mike was very strict he heavily monitored the kids and even bugged their phones it is so bizarre to me that this technology was even available at this time i mean i don't really know much about pre-19 like late 1990s about technology mm -hmm. i know that it was very little so yeah. the fact that he had like a device that auto recorded every single phone call when you picked up the phone sarah said this was going on for like years and years though like 30 plus years he every single phone call was recorded yeah and it would be an auto recorded system that was already set up mm -hmm. so he had all this footage of every phone call to a point where like they didn't even feel safe making phone calls in their own house because they knew he was listening. And multiple people say that the cameras that were in the house were obvious. And Sarah said she doesn't even remember these cameras. And she's little at this time. I mean, what 12-year-old is looking for hidden cameras when mm -hmm. cameras aren't even a thing, really? So yeah. it's like he hid cameras in places like the vents and stuff so he could get video footage of basically every room in the house. Barbara's friend Linda was even aware of the cameras in every room. And like just one of Barbara's friends was like, oh, yeah, like there, there were cameras everywhere. Like you didn't see them. Like we saw the red lights. 
of them recording. And Mike admits that there were cameras on the phone call with the police. He says he went too far monitoring phone calls and putting cameras in the vents and stuff. And after Alyssa's disappearance, they found video cameras placed to specifically spy on Alyssa. There were there was a camera in the living room and I believe there was one in her room as well. There was a camera in the vent in her room and yeah. even her friends would notice it and they're like, is he filming us? And she's like, yep. And it made her, not only her uncomfortable, but her friends. Mm -hmm. They found these cameras placed in the vents and stuff. And Alyssa clearly didn't feel safe. She didn't even want to have phone calls with her friends. And she resorted to writing letters to her friends at school where she detailed some of the abuse that was going on. Her old friend Charity... She seemed to be her best friend at the time, if I had to label one of them that way. Mm -hmm. She still had some of these letters, and she shared some of them with Sarah on Voices for Justice. In these letters, she details some of the abuse, and Charity recalls in one of these notes, Alyssa said, they got in such a bad fight that Mike wouldn't talk to her, and he told her she can pack her shit and leave if she is so unhappy. There was clear manipulation because... She said that while Alyssa would recall the abuse, would talk in one line about, you know, being so upset about stuff Mike would do. In the other line, she would talk about him being so cool he's taking her to Disneyland or would let her buy anything she wanted. So she clearly acknowledged the abuse, but still had a level of love and admiration for him. And her old friend, Janae, that lived down the road, talks about how Alyssa resented Sarah because of the good relationship and the love that Mike had for Sarah. The fact that Sarah was given everything, but Alyssa was always in trouble. And Sarah even acknowledges this. She's like, yeah, I also felt the same because from her perspective, Mike is spending all this time with Alyssa worrying about her. Yeah. And it was clearly it was because Mike was obsessing over what she was doing, but she just saw them always spending all this time together. And she admits she was a daddy's girl when she was younger. And it took her a while to even accept the reality of what happened to Alyssa. And she just saw it as them always being together. And despite her efforts, she didn't feel that same way. Mm hmm. And she was so young at the time that she didn't really understand what was going on, other than the fact that she was constantly hearing arguments between the two. She said she would hear slammed doors. She would hear them screaming at each other like they were always fighting. Janae says that Alyssa would detail sexual abuse from Mike and that her mom, Janae's mom, would try to keep Alyssa as long as possible without having her go home because she didn't want her back in that household. She, like Mike, would call and she'd be like, oh, she's staying another night. Um, no, she's staying another night. And she, Janae says, like, her mom could have done more and she knows that, but I think people were so scared of Mike that they didn't know what to do about this. I mean, he was so manipulative and I think, like, after their mom died and everything... And the way he treated Alyssa, <laughs> you didn't know what he was capable of doing. Yeah, it's clear these people were scared. And I'm I'm sure, especially now with hindsight, you're just like, I wish I would have done something else. But at the end of the day, like, yes, they should have, but they were also scared of this person. Mm -hmm. So Mike would constantly call Alyssa stupid and say she had a learning disability. And she he would also make a point to call her um, promiscuous for some reason, even though she was a literal child still. So there's a home video of Mike calling Alyssa a stupid moron because, um, and this is funny actually, because 
Sarah was accidentally recording at this time. Mm -hmm. Mike had told her to shut off the video, but she said no and then said something like she didn't know how to record, but she was already recording. So Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the video, Alyssa says, our dad's a pervert. And then like a few seconds later, he starts going, Alyssa's a stupid moron. And they're, they're young in this video. Like, I don't think Alyssa or um sarah was over maybe 10 no she sounds like a kid very young kid Mm -hmm. and she didn't even know how to hit record on the camera like she didn't even know she was recording you know it's kind of caught on tape on accident that she thought he was a pervert and his only response was to go after her intelligence. Mm -hmm. Sarah gives a good argument that there is a lack of proof that Alyssa even had this like disability that he's referring to like he constantly said she had a learning disability he also said that she had ADD but there's no proof of this diagnosis and when Alyssa was young she had someone that was watching her constantly and it was before she went to kindergarten I believe and this person was the one that helped her learn how to write her name they helped her learn the ABCs And she said, like, Sarah was not developmentally behind. She was actually ahead. No, there is video footage of of Sarah. And in the background, you can hear Alyssa singing her ABCs. Like, she wasn't she wasn't behind. Yeah, Mike was claiming that she didn't even know her ABCs when she started school, but there's proof that that's not true. And he constantly used this against Alyssa. Like, he would use it kind of as a weapon. He still does. Yeah, like, he would basically be like, well... Alyssa didn't understand that this was happening because she has a learning disability. She's so stupid. His only argument is to like go after her, but there's not even any proof that she has a learning disability. It's it doesn't make any sense. And I definitely believe Sarah in this case because she doesn't believe that Alyssa ever had that. Alyssa also started telling people that she had sex with her dad and she told multiple people this. Diana, a brief girlfriend of Mike's after their mom died, recalls a time when she was alone in the house and with Alyssa and she randomly told her that she was having sex with her dad. And Again, multiple people can corroborate that she said this all the time. And Diana said that she kind of thought that this was just jealousy of a new relationship that their dad was having at the time when their mom passed away not so long ago. But what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that I would take that as jealousy. I would literally be like, what? A child doesn't know what sex even is. So someone planted that in her head. Why would she say out of a child wouldn't be jealous? They'd be jealous of a lack of attention, but not a lack of sexual attention. Like, yeah, I feel like my, I don't know. Mike would have had to say something for her to even know what that means. But also that that had to have happened to her also. Yeah, exactly. And explained what that is. And I don't know if maybe she just didn't realize this or like you didn't want to admit that your new boyfriend at the time was clearly doing some horrible things, but she just took that as jealousy. But again, this isn't the first time that she said that to someone and a doctor actually said there was scarring on Alyssa's vagina that suggested she was being sexually abused. In my opinion, that's proof that it was happening. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't just get that for no reason. Sarah said that their cousin David recalls a time when he was told that they had to handcuff Alyssa to a chair because she was so out of control. But one of Alyssa's friends said that that Alyssa recalled waking up that way in the middle of the night. Mike told their cousin randomly, he said this was unprovoked, that he just randomly told him that Alyssa gets so crazy that they had to handcuff her to a chair. So again, he's kind of giving excuses for things that happened before any allegations are even made so he kind of has it already like proven under his belt but he's giving so much information that nobody asked for and you're like why are you even saying this yeah david literally was like what was running through his mind at the time was like why are you even telling me this like i don't even understand why you're telling me this i would never do that to my kids ever right and when Alyssa was alone with david she was telling him how crazy mike was and actually recalled the same incident but said that she was handcuffed to the bed and not a chair and i think i would agree with that considering in mike's history as we already covered he handcuffed one of his sister-in-laws to a bed and Mm -hmm. tried to sexually abuse her so diana and mike ended up breaking up at one point but the girls looked at diana as a mother figure after their mom passed away so i think this made mike realize if he was going to have another relationship that Alyssa would end up feeling comfortable enough to give the information of what was happening in the household between the two of them and after this mike never actually pursued another woman again this was his last girlfriend after this relationship ended the arguments got worse between Alyssa and mike and it became even more aggressive after the breakup as if it was Alyssa's fault that any of this happened which it wasn't Right. So their cousin David lived with Alyssa, Mike, and Sarah for a few weeks, but upon finding a videotape, he moved out immediately with no warning. And I know we've been talking about like sexual abuse for a minute here, but just a trigger warning because this is pretty graphic. Yeah. He worked odd hours at the time at his job at Sam's Club, and he was often home alone when nobody else was there. And he went to watch a tape that was labeled Dr. Doolittle. And apparently Mike had a pretty big um, VHS tape collection. Mm -hmm. So he was just like, okay, I'll watch Dr. Doolittle. It just grabbed the tape. But when he played it, it showed on the tape like a video of their living room. And then it panned to the couch and a girl was on it and there was a newspaper covering her eyes, but the rest of her face was exposed. He said it was clear that it was Alyssa. She had blonde hair like Alyssa's that was straight. She was subdued with no top and only shorts on. And he said that there was another girl that he assumed to be one of Alyssa's friends that he kind of briefly recognized in the same position, but with a magazine covering her eyes. And at this point, he was horrified, obviously, at this sight. And he actually left the tape in the player and took off. He didn't say anything to Mike even, and it was three days before he even returned to grab his stuff. And he said he just grabbed as much as he could in one in one swift period and he left and never came back. There is no proof that this tape ever existed other than David's recounting of it and I would assume Mike destroyed it after finding it in the player afterwards. Oh yeah. So Alyssa's brother Rhett said in a police interview that he can recall Alyssa telling him about a time that Mike tried to sexually assault her and this was the last day of her sophomore year of high school. Alyssa was alone in the car with Mike driving driving in Phoenix, Arizona when he pulled the free pulled off the freeway 
and into an isolated desert area where he tried to sexually assault her. When explaining this to Rhett, she remained calm, but said that she fled the car and returned home because she obviously wasn't gonna stay in the car with him. When she returned home, her neighbor was outside and asked if she was okay, and they were talking when Mike came home and intimidated this neighbor before making Alyssa return home with him. After this, Alyssa demanded to stay with their brother Mike for the summer. Shockingly enough, Mike actually agreed to this, and he did this not before making Alyssa sign a contract the very same day. So, Mike would make the kids sign contracts kind of often, and these were notarized contracts. So fucking weird. This is gonna sound like a little weird, I guess. My dad kind of does something similar, not to these types of contracts, absolutely fucking not. Mm Mm-hmm. But my dad helped me buy my first car just by, like, he took the loan out in his name, but it was for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And he made me sign a contract, air quotes, contract, where it just said I had to put my income tax on the car and I had to agree to make the monthly payments. But that's just like, it's weird. But it's for like money. Yeah, that was like specifically for this car payment and it wasn't notarized. Yeah. Because it was just like an agreement. It wasn't a contract. But he had these notarized, like these were real contracts between kids. I want to know who's the notary on these contracts also. Like what? I would love to know. And I would love to hear what was running through your mind while you were witnessing this. This is, it goes without saying, bizarre. (laughs) Um, Especially in the situations he would make them sign these contracts. Because the severity of them differed pretty greatly. For example, um, he made her sign a contract one time when Alyssa wanted to go to Charity's birthday party. It had rules like no boys allowed to stay the night. Alyssa can't leave the property. Um, He listed four specific classmates that weren't allowed to be there. And, you know, no drugs, etc. As if Alyssa had any control over that situation. It's not her birthday party. It's Charity's. Yeah. And he made her sign this contract. I find it odd. He was so concerned about her basically not even being around a boy. Like, she was not allowed to be around any boys, like, not even look at them. But he claimed she was so promiscuous. Like, how? You wouldn't even let her be around a boy. I would love to know how she was magically promiscuous. It's called being a normal 17-year-old who just wants to date. Right. Maybe she did it behind your back at some point because of you being so strict about it and controlling because we know Alyssa had a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance Mm -hmm. but I don't know a lot about him so I didn't include him in this outline a lot of these contracts I find suspicious and it seems as if Mike is trying to absolve himself of any blame in the case that something were to come back on him as if allegations were to be made he would have just a contract signed proving they weren't made guess what buddy (laughs) it makes you look more suspicious yeah And also, a 17-year-old is going to sign whatever contract they have to just to get away from you. And I think that anybody would agree to that. Like, I'm going to sign this contract so I can go to Charity's birthday party. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what are you going to do if she breaks that contract? Like, call the police? Right. Like, that's your kid. And what are they going to do about it? Yeah. These contracts make him look so much more guilty, but it was like he was trying to free himself of any blame before people even accused him of anything. This contract that Mike wanted Alyssa to sign so she could stay with her brother for the summer was especially weird, and we're going to run through it. 
because it felt like he was trying to cover his ass and he was preparing for allegations before they even came. And the stuff that's listed in this contract, if anything, that proves even more that these things happened. And the contract was dated for the same day as the incident and it reads as follows. I, Alyssa Turney, of my own free will and without promise of favor and or under no threat of any kind, do swear that the following is the truth and absolute truth about the following. Like the wording is already weird. Yeah. One, my father, Mike Turney, has never physically or sexually abused me at any time. Red flag. Really big <laughs> red flag. <laughs> Number one. God. Why does she have to sign that that didn't happen? Who is saying that? Who's accusing this right now? She just wants to go live with her brother. Literally. That's why I'm like, this contract doesn't even have anything to do with her actually living with her brother. Mm -hmm. It's just to make sure that while she is not in his presence, she can't call CPS on him, basically. Because mm -hmm. he claims several times that she threatened it, but in the situations he describes, I don't think that's accurate. Two, my father, Mike Turney, has never given me or allowed me to use marijuana. Three, my father, Mike Turney, has never given me or allowed me to use drugs of any kind other than what's provided by a doctor. Okay, so a quick side note. I didn't put it in the outline, but Sarah talks about in in the first episode, and you really need to go listen to this podcast because I could never summarize all of it. Like, there's so much. Mm -hmm. The first episode specifically we're going to talk about at the end because, oh my God, the gaslighting in that episode. It's a phone call between Sarah and Mike, but she mentions that he used to give them pills all the time like he gave his them pills yeah like he would give them his prescription drugs constantly and that if anything she was the one that was smoking and like doing drugs and stuff and that he never even batted an eye at age 12 by the way yeah she said for example like her first day of school every year he would give her a pill that I assume was to help calm anxiety, but it was like he would give her a pill on her first day of school every year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, and the point of this is pills were normalized in their household. So first of all, that's a lie. You did give her drugs, but you also helped normalize it to her. So if she was doing it on her own, which there's no proof of, mm -hmm. then it's probably because you made her feel like that was okay. You provided them also. <laughs> yes. Like he claims that she, they had incidents of her like breaking into his medicine cabinet, but he was the one that gave her the stuff. Moving on. Four, my father, Mike Turney, has never allowed me to physically or sexually abuse my younger sister, Sarah Turney. What? Literally, what are you talking about? <laughs> Five, I have never engaged in any sexual intercourse. I don't understand what this has to do with moving out. Six, I have never engaged in bisexual activity. Yeah. So a fun thing about Mike is that he's also homophobic. Very much so. Very biphobic. Clearly was very unwilling to accept that Alyssa was bisexual. Mm -hmm. And that's gross. Seven, I have never engaged in sexual activities with anyone younger than me. There were never any allegations about that, so I don't know. He is claiming that at one point Alyssa was with underage boys, but I've never heard anything about that mm -hmm. other than from him. Eight, I have never taken LSD. Nine, I have never taken cocaine. Ten, I have never engaged in oral sex. Eleven, I have never seen my father sexually or physically abuse my sister, Sarah Turney. Red Wait, flag! I think you missed eleven. 
Oh, oh yes, I did. Eleven. <laughs> I have never taken any street drug that is illegal. I think we already covered quite a bit of the street drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirteen. I have never seen my father, Mike Turney, physically or sexually abuse his children. So we now have three points specifically about him saying that there was no physical or sexual abuse of any kind towards any of them. That's kind of a lot out of a 13-point contract. Or 16 points, I believe this one is. 14. My father, Mike Turney, has never given me anything to hide my marijuana. 15. My father, Mike Turney, took immediate action to get me to stop using marijuana when he discovered it. 16. My father, Mike Turney, has discouraged and counseled me to not engage in any sexual activity with anyone underage again. Again? Right. You just made her sign that she never had sexual activities with anyone younger than her ever so how can she sign both it's like they just contradict themselves i swear the following is the truth and do so on my own free will this of 519 the year 2000 signed Alyssa attorney so after this contract was signed Alyssa was out on her merry way and finally rid of her father three days after this incident two thousand dollars was withdrawn from Alyssa's bank account and the withdrawal slip was signed none other than Mike Turney. Why is he taking money out of her bank account? Mm-hmm. And for reference, what I'm assuming is the type of bank account she had, because I had this when I was growing up and I know that Jordan didn't have the same type of account. You can have a custodial account with a bank. So it's basically like even even as like a teenager even as an adult, actually, like the account is yours, but an adult is assigned to it and you can't really do anything other than deposit money without their permission. My mom was like the signer on my account for when I was a kid. I had one with with, like my dad being in charge of it. And when I was 18, we went to the bank and they were basically like, well, we'll just make you a new account because you can't like take them off the account. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to just open a new account. I assume that that is what account this was i don't see why otherwise Alyssa would have her own account with him having permission of it Mm -hmm. i assume that's what that was and i'm not surprised considering how strict he was with her after this on the same day he made a call to cps and this is one of i believe three total calls to cps Alyssa turney 16 and sarah turney 11 this is the transcript by the way not like from his perspective phone call uh, live with their father, Michael Turney. Michael Turney is the adopted father of Alyssa and biological father of Sarah. Barbara Turney, who is the biological mother of both girls, died in 1993. Alyssa and father got into an argument on May 19th, 2000, because she wanted to go to a party and father would not allow it. Alyssa threatened to call, threatened father to call CPS and tell them that he was molesting her if he did not let her attend the party. Alyssa has also suggested about wanting to get her tongue pierced, to get a tattoo, and to drive the family car. Alyssa told father she hates the lifestyle he and Sarah lead as they are boring. Michael would love the following threats to call CPS to be noted. No report is taken, however, because there are no allegations of abuse or neglect. I find it very weird that he is claiming that she said the lifestyle that Sarah and Mike lead are so boring. Like, Sarah's 12. So I really don't think Alyssa would say that. I just feel like he loves to tattletale to like get some sort of 
something to somebody like take note of this yeah i feel like these cps calls are kind of setting the scene for a runaway Mm -hmm. i feel like he's making these calls because he thinks by having a record that she's making all these threats they're constantly arguing Mm -hmm. and that she's being rebellious i guess is the word that i would say that he's trying to describe by like wanting a tattoo wanting a tongue piercing wanting all these things that he's setting the stage for her to run away for that to be believable Mm -hmm. to them and it fucking worked and if i was a social worker and i got a call from someone being like well my child said they were threatening to call cps so i'm just letting you aware like i'm just making you aware i'm pretty sure i would immediately drive to your house (laughs) it's just like why would you call and tell me that if there's not something going on that makes you look suspicious like he really loves making himself look guilty and suspicious yeah like this this does not help your case um on may 23rd mike turney drafted another contract these stupid contract this one is between michael turney and michael seth turney and then a notary i am going to try my best to make this not confusing because they're both named michael yes this one is about the same issue the same as the one before but it's between her brother that is taking temporary custody of her so he also made a contract between him and the brother about her moving so he made two contracts to be okay with her brother taking her the summer like this one summer for like a few months she's 17 at this point so i just find it weird that she's close to 18 anyways mm-hmm. and he just makes this big deal of it there's a place for Alyssa to sign in this contract but it says no identification handwritten on that line and there are 13 lines that she initials at or at least i assume it's her and that's like the most that's signed i'm just I don't really know what no identification means. Yeah. Can't really explain that, but it's weird to me. The contract reads as follows. This is an agreement entered between Michael R. Turney, the legal guardian of Alyssa M. Turney, and Alyssa M. Turney. In order to transfer temporary guardianship of Alyssa M. Turney to Michael Seth Turney for the specified time in the temporary guardianship of minor child, it is further agreed that all parties enter this agreement of their own free will and understanding of the following issues. 1. Alyssa M. Turney is incorrigible and refuses to return home at the authority of her parent Michael R. Turney. I don't know what incorrigible means. I'm just saying that right now. Bad behavior. Like, she just gives bad behavior. Okay, I was like, they say it more than one time. And oh, I, he like, loves this word. <laughs> he loves the word incorrigible. Are you looking it up? Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure that I'm right. <laughs> yeah, just like having like behavior that is not can't be corrected or improved. Okay, I was going to look it up and then I honestly forgot <laughs> to make sure I knew what it meant. <laughs> Michael S. Turney has agreed to take temporary custody of Alyssa M. Turney to allow her time away from her father and sister, whereupon she will follow any and all instructions given to Michael S. Turney or forfeit this privilege. Three, it is understood at this time that her reasons for not returning to the home of her father, Michael R. Turney, immediately is not for any of the following reasons. God, here we go. (laughs) Because that's not suspicious. (laughs) Like, by the way, she's definitely not being resistant because of any of these reasons. Like, no, not at all. A. Physical abuse. B. Alcohol abuse. C. 
drug abuse, D, sexual abuse, E, neglect, F, lack of proper housing, G, lack of food, H, lack of clean housing, I, physical abuse of her sister Sarah Turney, J, sexual abuse of her sister Sarah Turney. So he makes sure to include in like both of these contracts that Sarah Turney is not being physically or sexually abused, which she's never said that she was. Yeah. So like, I assume that that never did happen. I just find it weird that he makes sure to specify in that case. Four, that prior to returning to her home, she will specify to Michael R. Turney her reasons for why she chose not to come home and why she chose to go with her brother, Michael S. Turney, on May 19th, 2000. I think you understand the reasonings of her going to live with her brother, but okay. You know why. Five, that she will apologize to her father and her sister for her wrongful conduct and her insults directed at them. I really don't... (laughs) Stop it. I really don't think that in this situation, Alyssa insulted Sarah as well. I just, Probably just so you. Gross! Come on, dude. And now she has to apologize to come back home. She doesn't want to come home. I think that's pretty clear. Six that she will never again use physical force on her sister Sarah Turney. Their sisters. Come on. And Sarah also never even mentions a case of physical abuse that I'm aware of. Seven that she will follow any and all instructions of her father, Michael R. Turney. Eight that she will no longer allow any of her friend's parents to influence her to leave home and live with them. As we know, one of her friends, uh, when she was younger, tried her best, her mom, to, to not let her go back home. And I'm sure he also refers to Charity a lot and saying that Charity's parents were a bad influence on her for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And the only thing he mentions is that Charity's dad had a tongue piercing. Yeah. Is a piercing really the threshold for being a bad influence? Nine, that she will never use marijuana while living with her father, Michael R. Turney. Ten, she will never bring a male into the home of her father, Michael R. Turney, without his consent. She's 17. And also, again, the weird control over her not allowed to have any males in her life is strange 11 she will discontinue any bisexual ideologies or acts while living with her father michael r attorney we get it you're homophobic yeah and she's trying to figure herself out so leave her alone like who cares what doesn't what does it bother you i remember sarah saying there was like a photo of Alyssa in charity kissing that mm-hmm. like really set him off that's the only reason he knows about this mm-hmm. is because he found that photo guess what if you hide it it doesn't go away right like, <laughs> she's still gonna be that way she's just gonna not tell you about it but she clearly didn't even tell you to begin with you just found out man that pissed me off <laughs> like, while writing that i'm like oh my god i could strangle this guy yeah 12 that any and all male friends she associates with and any and all affections she associates with will be the same age or older than she but not older than 18 Please explain to me when she's 17 how they can be older but not 18. So what, just older 17 by a month? year olds. <laughs> Literally, like older by months? Yeah. 13. That I, Alyssa, will enter a drug rehab program or outpatient program for the sane. Okay, dude, it's a little bit of pot. Can you calm down? Yeah. 
And she's 17. And you probably, well, coming from the pills, you probably provided some of this marijuana. But all right. Honestly, like he claims that Alyssa did all these drugs, but there's no proof of that other than his word. Alyssa M. Turney will agree to not further harass, intimidate, or threaten Michael R. Turney and Sarah E. Turney and or intervene with the parental rights of Michael R. Turney to educate and raise his daughter, Sarah E. Turney. It is completely understood that Alyssa M. Turney and Michael S. Turney, that Michael R. Turney, the father, remains the legal guardian of Alyssa M. Turney and has the rights to revoke the arrangements at any time at all for any reason, especially if Alyssa refuses to follow instructions given by a Michael M. Turney or any, I think that's supposed to say Michael R. Turney. Sorry. There's no Michael M. Turney <laughs> given by Michael R. Turney or any violation of the law whereupon she will be surrendered to the custody of the state of Arizona, Maricopa County Juvenile Court for being incorrigible. You're just making this up. No, no cop is going to arrest this child for a contract that you made and made her sign. He literally was like, well, if you break the law, I'm giving you up to the state. Okay, you can't do that. I'm confused as to what he's expecting to happen in this situation. Like, did you think that if she were to, like, get in some trouble, say she got taken to juvie, that you could be like, well, you can keep her. Yeah. There's <laughs> because a- I have a contract. <laughs> and there's a lot of episodes of him on Sarah's podcast that is, like, him calling the police and trying to talk to somebody about getting her in trouble for being incorrigible and they're like there's literally nothing i can do there's no law anymore that states that i can literally come collect your daughter for her being incorrigible yeah like they like he actively tries to get her in trouble like Mm -hmm. he wants her to get arrested and when someone tells him that there's nothing that they can do he'll he'll hang up and call right back and talk to somebody different about it and they're all giving him the same answer like what is not getting through what is not clicking (laughs) after Alyssa was gone for about a week mike writes Alyssa a letter may 29th 2000 it is three pages in length and he talks about his frustration with Alyssa. the letter seems to just come off aggressive that whether she likes it or not he is responsible for her according to the state and then references a time that he caught her with weed in their home and claims there are other drug-related problems he mentions her wanting to emancipate and says it's to get piercings and tattoos to have 17 year old men over in her room when he is not home like he literally said that what is wrong with you (laughs) like 17 year old men that's not a man that's a child right he tells her unless she's willing to compromise things he can't guarantee things will change when she comes back but those things that are initialed in the contract are not negotiable two days later he writes another letter to child protective services about john so he makes a lot of claims in this letter and this is about her brother john so he's claiming that john was abusive physically and sexually and that he was banned from their home so he makes very big allegations about john that he was that way toward Alyssa, and he mentions Alyssa wanting a emancipation but says john threatened to call cps since he was refusing to do it he claims that Alyssa was caught 
with seventh grade boys and that he called the police on her, that he is unsure of the drugs she's used and then claims again that she was threatening to call CPS and he feared Sarah would get taken from him. So he calls CPS again the next day. Like right after writing this letter, he's like, all right, I'm going to call again. Like the letter is not enough. And it's important to know Sarah said there was, as far as she's aware, there was never any sort of abuse from John toward Alyssa. Mm -mm. And keep in mind, that's Alyssa's like full-blooded brother. Mm -hmm. The other brothers are like step-siblings, but they just refer, they don't refer to them as that. They're They're not allowed. Yeah, they're told like family is family regardless. But that is like her whole brother. Mm -hmm. I feel like if anything, that would kind of be her ally in Mm -hmm. this situation. Like not saying she didn't have a relationship with her other brothers. She clearly did. She talked to Rhett about all this like abuse going on. And lived with Mike. Yeah, but I feel like her and John would have had a close relationship and Sarah said none of that abuse happened. I just feel like Mike probably made it so that they would deter away from each other on purpose. And I think a reason that he did that was because John actually successfully emancipated himself, got out of the home as soon as possible. So I think he didn't want, given the fact that Alyssa wanted the same thing, I think he didn't want her to have access to the knowledge Mm -hmm. of how to do that. Because he kept claiming that Alyssa doesn't understand that emancipation is not possible. And that's what he says in this phone call. He says she wants a new truck and a tongue piercing. He says that Alyssa wants to be emancipated, but because of her learning disability, she doesn't understand that it's not possible in the state of Arizona. I don't really know much about (laughs) that, but I'm pretty sure you can get emancipated no matter what state you're in. Well, John got emancipated, so I'm I never understood understood what what that meant maybe i'll look it up after this to see what the emancipation laws in arizona were at the time but yeah i if john got emancipated i, I would just assume that Alyssa could also be emancipated yeah well and he was claiming that even if she was emancipated he'd still be responsible for her actions but if she if you emancipate yourself you're taking the initiative to revoke the custody mm-hmm of you from your parents so she would be an adult and john would not be her legal father anymore so i don't think that's true i don't know if that's just what he told her to make her understand that that wasn't gonna happen Mm -hmm. so yeah he claimed that uh it's not possible for her to get emancipated but i don't think that's true given the fact that john was emancipated um mike wants the threat noted but no report is filed since there are no allegations made and he also says that she uses mushrooms and marijuana (laughs) if that's the worst you got right so that's kind of where this part will come to a close and we'll talk about the legal stuff that mike will get into with the union Mm -hmm. the world famous union that he loves to talk about (laughs) but before we go i figured we could kind of talk about the first episode of voices for justice because it's a phone call between mike and sarah Mm -hmm. that she makes to him because she kind of brings up the fact that i guess there's like this interview that she got approached about doing 
but they want him to be a part of it as well. It's another 2020 interview, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And he basically says he's not going to do that. He doesn't want any part of that. They kind of have this back and forth because she said, well, if you care so much about Alyssa, and then you need to advocate for her, and I'm the only one doing it. And he basically calls her out, calls him out on his shit because she's like, everybody claims to care so much, but nobody is helping me and I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear like her brother's are doing Mm -hmm. she's like i'm actually going to say what we're all thinking which is that you had a part in this and she says multiple times like all the boys thought that mike killed Alyssa in the beginning and then like she was the last to think that mike would do anything to Alyssa, yeah and now she's the only one doing anything and she i don't think she brings up in the phone call but she does say like she got called down to the police station and told that she apparently has a half sibling like a half sister that she didn't know about um that she's never met i don't think she has any information about it but she was told she has a half sibling and was presented with all this stuff by the police Mm -hmm. and it took that moment for her to realize what was really happening she said she always had a really close relationship with her dad growing up so she was the last one to really believe that this was even happening and all her brothers agree that he did something to Alyssa, but none of them are gonna say anything Mm -hmm. it's that weird family like i know you did something but i'm gonna have your back that this family has that mike had with his brother james and it's so weird to me like uh sarah mentioned this like blood isn't everything like you have to have accountability for your family and they just they they don't i can understand like at family gatherings there's always like one person that you kind of put up with that you don't want to be around Mm -hmm. for whatever reason but when it comes to a murder i think it's a bit more severe yeah no i'm not gonna like still eat turkey with you on thanksgiving you can no you're you're not welcome here okay goodbye during this call like Alyssa basically says like you don't even care about me you don't even check up on me you don't ask me how i'm doing and he tries to be like well you don't call me it's like for obvious reasons right she doesn't call you you should you should still make it effort with your daughter and he doesn't make that effort with her and i'm really concerned about the brothers really them knowing some type of information and they've talked about it before they talked about it on 2020 and told sarah all this information but still being like part of my french but up their dad's ass and like advocating for him and not Alyssa. i just don't understand it i don't know what mike is holding against all these people yeah. But it has to be something. Either they're scared of him or I don't know, but it really sits with me so wrong. I agree. Like, it really rubs me the wrong way. Like, Rhett told the police about the sexual abuse that Alyssa disclosed to him mm-hmm. about what was going on with Sarah. He knows that she was being molested by her father and he still is not, like, you're still not advocating for Sarah and like letting your dad be in your life Mm -hmm. he was molesting your sister do you not care about that like i don't understand that no if i found information about my dad like that like i wouldn't want nothing to do with you i'm sorry yeah Uh, blood or not no what exactly mike tries to say that that sarah is the one that isolates herself and that's why she's not included and stuff that's why her brothers don't reach out to her because of her like she's the reason which is like no i'm sorry you are the reason you tore your family apart yeah and i i understand why sarah would want to isolate herself from this family i yeah uh, (laughs) 
I get it. Yeah. And she cites a very specific incident with like one of their brothers had like a birthday party for their daughter. And I guess both of them weren't invited. Mm -hmm. And Sarah talks about how she cried all day that day. And Mike said that he was hurt that he wasn't invited. And it's like, clearly, you're not as close to your son as you think you are because Mm -hmm. he didn't invite you to something like that. Mm -hmm. The most alarming part of the phone call is like every time that Sarah brings up something that happened with Alyssa or memories of things that happened, he just writes her off by saying he doesn't remember it that way every time every time like she talks about the fact that he claims Alyssa was this huge rebel but she also smoked weed as a kid she also did drugs she snuck out she did all this stuff and zero consequences were placed against Sarah for this yeah and all he says is you're trying to convince me that you were a rebel child and that you're the victim like he basically says well you're just trying to manipulate me into thinking that that's what happened when I don't remember it that way and it's like no it is relevant mm-hmm. because you went 10 times harder on Alyssa and you recorded her in every aspect of her life and made sure that you were always with her as much as possible because you said that she was such a rebel mm-hmm. but Sarah was doing the same things and you did not keep that same energy and Sarah was a lot younger doing yeah. all this stuff so it's like I just think it's very telling when the only thing that you have to say is, well, I don't remember it that way. Mm -hmm. And he basically hangs up on her. Yep. Because he's like, well, I have to go. Yeah. I would definitely encourage listening to her podcast. There's a lot of episodes. Yeah. With a lot more information than where we can. We can even give. Yeah. It's, It's so much. But in the next part, we will dive deep into the day that... Alyssa supposedly ran away. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike has an issue that lands him in prison. We're going to talk about that. So yeah, we're going to go deep into everything that happened at the start of Alyssa's disappearance. And thank you guys so much for watching. And we will see you in the next one. Listening. (laughs) Listening. Sorry. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Okay. Bye. Bye.